Okay, cool. So, uh, well, hello there. And uh, whoever happens to be listening to this, we're talking to you now. Uh, and for the last couple of minutes, Tom and I have been sitting, we've been sitting here in a, a Zoom call trying to figure out, you know, when to start. And this is the actual beginning, the very beginning of the beginning of Josh and Tom Devour the World, a podcast where we try to devour the world before it devours us. Um, and I'm calling this, Tom, I'm calling this the pre-show show, uh, because this is us kind of, I think, deciding what the show is going to be. And I have some ideas, and I hope that you have some ideas, and I hope that this interests people who are interested in hearing us uh, talk about our ideas. So. Yes. As is often the case, Josh, I have ideas about your ideas. <laughs> That's good. That's awesome. Well, so, okay. So he, let me just kind of like lay it out there. This is what I think that I wanted to talk to you about. So first of all, we're in the middle of a pandemic and you and I are friends. We are members of a, an improv troupe, Reasonably Rice Babies, um, which has been going on here in Asheville, North Carolina for a long time. Uh, and we just have had no opportunity to perform really um, for a few months now. And I wanted to have a creative outlet. And then also one of the things you and I are friends and we often in normal times would go out into the town and devour the town, as it were, and yes. uh, and have some of these fun conversations and things, and um, and we just are very limited in our ability to do that. So another thing that I wanted was just to have a, a regular time when I could sit here with my friend Tom and discuss uh, things. Yes, it, for usually we would have such conversations on smoking patios, which <laughs> I think is a great testament to my friendship to you that I go to smoking patios, even though I don't smoke cigarettes. Um, but I know that's where the good conversation is going to be had. So as someone who particularly really doesn't like cigarettes at all, um, I still visit smoking patios because uh, that's where the good talk is. Kind of like the kitchen in any good house party. Well, feel free to set something on fire, just like in the room somewhere so that you can also, you know, feel the, the smoky environment, uh, even as unpleasant as it might be for you, because um, I do enjoy those conversations. And, um, and in particular, the reason I, I chose the idea of devours the world is because um, we live in a consumer culture. And one of the things that I've been thinking about in my own life is just kind of the things that I've been taking in. And especially during the pandemic, like also not just taking in in terms of like eating and drinking, which is important. I do think that those are important things and we're going to talk about those things, but also the things that we're thinking, the things that are uh, affecting us through media and, and that we're taking in. And so I, I thought it'd be interesting to do a, a micro consumerism show, a show about what does it mean to be not only a consumer, though, but also a creator? What, is, what are we creating because of the things that we're consuming? And so it's kind of like the sort of like creativity digestive system is what I would like to <laughs> explore with this podcast. Uh, what are your thoughts there, Tom? Uh, wow, I, I like that idea. Uh -huh. and, uh, I like the idea that uh, writer's block can be cured with a probiotic. <laughs> yeah, that's essentially what I'm saying is that maybe the things that we're eating and drinking are affecting and effecting huh? a little use of uh, grammar there. Thank the you. Stuff that we create and not in because a lot of times we think of our digestive system and we think that, you know, it's it goes in our mouth and it goes into our body and then it goes out of our our butthole in the form of poo poo. And uh, <laughs> but, but really, that food goes into a lot of different places before we expel the waste part of it. It goes into our work. It becomes the energy that we expend out in the universe, not only, and, and that energy is not just like things that like, you know, are tangible where you can build a house because of the energy that you have, but also, you know, the ideas that you have take energy to have them in some way as well. So, um, so anyway, those, that's my, that's my thought of why I wanted to focus on consumerism uh, and, uh, and then, uh, and Tom, I'm just so glad that you're willing to come along on this ride and, and also offer your perspectives as well. Uh, yes. You have said we should do something like this for some time now. And I sort of was like, sure. Yeah, sure. But uh, this idea of Josh and Tom devour the world uh, sounded like a nice <laughs> summarizable statement. And uh, I love your proposed idea for our 
first approach, which is uh, what are you eating? What are you drinking? What are you thinking? Uh, I, I like all those menu items. So uh, uh, I'm ready to start with our first course. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, so, um, so yeah, so in addition, so we're going to, just to give a little bit of format to folks who are hearing us for the first time, which would be everyone at this point, if you're listening at all to this, um, <laughs> that's, that's kind of our format for the show. We're going to talk a little bit about what we've been eating and drinking and thinking in the first part of the show. And then every show will also have uh, a guest. And I have, uh, I have a special guest lined up for today that is a surprise guest to Tom. Of course, Tom doesn't know who this guest is and I'll be bringing them in uh, very, very shortly. Uh, it's usually better when I know as little as possible. <laughs> and, and I also, I want to go ahead and put a teaser. I do have our guest for next week, which I will let you know about, okay? Uh, Alex Bradley of Empire Strikes Brass has, uh, has agreed to be uh, our first, uh, our, our next guest uh, on, our, on, our, on, our, on our first, our, what I'm going to call episode one, because this is the pre-show show. Uh, this yes. is the show about us deciding what the show will be about. So, um, so eating and drinking, Tom, they, you, tell me, you know, tell me a little bit about what your thoughts are on, on what you've been eating and drinking the, during the week. Well, I'll go with the uh, eating. And uh, this week we allowed ourselves to do what we've done a few times along the way, which is to have sort of a uh, fancy takeout um, you know, along the way. Uh, I'm not claiming, you know, that we, we, I haven't left the house, but twice in, you know, 10 months. Now I go to the, the, you know, the grocery store and otherwise, but ever so often like, ooh, wouldn't it be nice to get a really nice meal? Because to be honest, uh, uh, I love my wife very much, but we are not uh, wizards in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> uh, Josh Les, no, that's true, yeah. We don't, we don't make food, we heat food, you know? Well, like, yeah, so well, that reminds me of like, cause like, so Tom and I often do a show, um, Santa Land Diaries, that we did it for many, many years and we didn't get to do it this last year. And, we, and, uh, and I will come to rehearsal often at about eight o'clock or nine o'clock at night because that's when my workday is typically over and Tom will have eaten nothing and he's like, can you just pick me something up on the, just, just anything. <laughs> and all he'll have with him is like a bruised black banana that he, he has carried around in his pocket all day. And so those are like, so yeah, I mean, so, so yeah, I mean, it's not like you come to, to when I, my experience with you has not been, oh, here's this like packed lunch that I've got in my little, uh, you know, uh, igloo cooler or whatever. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm no good at that either. Just to, just to, to be quite oh, clear, I am I'm totally we'll incapable. But no, I mean you you, you have events. You make your tamales, and you have you have events where you create food. Uh, whereas no, we don't cook. We uh, we open and pour. That's what we do <laughs> in our house. Um, so the idea of being like, ooh, should we you know get get some fancy takeout? It's been a really nice thing. I remember uh, somewhere along the way, we did. Um, Sawana's Thai, you know, oh, yeah, really good Thai food from downtown Nashville. And this was back when really kind of going out anywhere just seemed like so taboo. Like you're going to go to a store. Um, right. And it was delicious. I got uh, the shrimp pad Thai and uh, my wife got, she loves the yellow curry there. And again, it just felt so extravagant. I was sort of thinking of like when uh, in Dumb and Dumber, they're, they're just going to borrow a few dollars to find a place to stay. And they go to the presidential suite at the, you know, the fancy lodge, I'll take it, you know. Um, so uh, love that. And yeah, so this week we, we sort of came back around like, ooh, wouldn't it be good to get a, a good meal and not just, you know, the quesadillas or whatever that we can make along the way. So this time, one of my, my wife's favorite place, we went to, uh, to Nine Mile. Um, oh, nice. A close by and again, yummy, delicious food. And just that idea of like, oh, right. People eat like this all the time, not necessarily ordering from fa fancy and expensive takeout, but just people eat well-prepared meals all the time. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, meal I got was good, but I remember that the salad that came with it was delicious. It was just such a nice, lightly tossed salad with a simple tahini dressing kind of thing. Um, that I don't know why, but the salad maybe being even better than the entree, which was delicious, made me a little mad for some reason. I don't know why. It's <laughs> an unexpected emotion, but I'm like, why is the salad so good? Uh, and I was just mad at them that they could even just kind of like a side dish was better than anything that I had sort of heated um, in the previous uh, eight to 10 weeks. 
So I'm I'm typically a fan of all of the salads. The 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 thing that I am the biggest fan of is the Greek salad, and I'll tell you why. Because mm. the Greek salad basically takes out any choice that you really have to make about it, right? Because normally when you get the regular like house salad, you have like oh geez, now I got to figure out. I just figured out what I got to eat. Now I got to figure out my dressing. Like I mean, I know this is talking about first world problems, but you know, making that choice, I, I like a lot of variety, but then there are certain dressings that are my go-to. That's why I like the Greek salad. They've already decided what dressing you're going to get. You know, all of the little pieces are together for you. you. You know, you don't have to pick things out. And so, so that's why I'm a fan. So was this Nine Mile salad? Now, Nine Mile is kind of a Jamaican themed restaurant, right? Or Caribbean, Caribbean. sort. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so what, what was, uh, what was in the salad? There was nothing particularly Caribbean about it. Again, just uh, just really good <laughs> greens <laughs> and, and just a few uh, things. And yeah, just a nice dressing. Again, nothing, nothing that you're like, how did you ever do this? Who has these ingredients? Everybody, everybody who knows how to walk through a produce section. Um, but yeah, so that was it. So it just really, uh, and then the like, well, do you eat it all at once? So you just try to stretch it out over, you know, a couple meals because it's so good, but that's the thing I come back to about myself. Again, not only do I not know how to uh, prepare food, I don't know how to position myself to best enjoy the food when it's warm. Um, so often I'll finish food, great, and I just get a little distracted. And then about seven minutes later, come back to it and be like, well, now it's cold. Now it's cold. <laughs> and the same thing, like going to, if you're going to go ahead and be like, you get the credit card involved to get fancy takeout, you have to be ready to like, you know, shortest access to the restaurant, quick pickup, <laughs> and then things need to be set out, ready to eat right when you come back and not right. like sort of put the bags down and blah, blah, and shake your mouth. And same thing, you get to it. You're like, okay, we just spent a good portion of our allotted income this week on one <laughs> meal and it's already cold. Good yeah. job. Yeah, nice. Um, okay, so uh, I think I'm, I'm going to go in on some of my thoughts on eating and drinking for the, the past week, um, yes, if please. you don't mind. Uh, and, and I'm going to do this sort of like a creation by omission, because um, so a lot of what I've been eating and drinking is, to, is in response to what I'm not drinking this month. I am participating, as, is, as are many people in the world, in dry January or dryuary, as I, I like to call it. And, um, and what I've noticed about taking alcohol out of my diet is, well, for one thing, like I have to literally think about drinking things <laughs> like, like water and tea, or just like, I have to like go, oh, right. This is when I would normally be, I know you're not completely hydrating yourself when you're drinking beer, but you're kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're filling the liquid void. So I've had to be more purposeful about that. And then also the, the sugar cravings. Now they've kind of subsided, but in the first week, like last week, especially in the beginning of the week, um, I had received as a gift some, um, some high chews, which is my favorite candy in the world. Absolutely love uh, high chew, you, you know, and, uh, and everyone in my family knows this about me. So whenever they uh, run across them, they will send them my way. Uh, friend Jason um, M who used to run a restaurant in town, uh, the, the Korean house when it was a thing, sent me some high chews and I just demolished them all in one sitting, like four packs. Like this, this was not a pretty sight <laughs> because like it's a, it again. And I think it's that when you take the sugar out of your diet from the, your, your body still kind of really wants that. I don't know what it is, but I just really wanted uh, candy for about three days. Like I, every day I was like, where, where's the sweetest, most intoxicating thing that I can put in my mouth. Um, have you, are you doing the, you've done this in the past, are you doing dry January this year? Is it just too much to try to throw on top of uh, a pandemic and, uh, and perhaps a democracy falling apart? Well, I'll answer that as it brings me to my, what am I drinking uh, topic, uh, which is, I love the idea of people giving food as, as presents around the holiday, um, as, as well as drink and, I do tend to get a lot of bourbon as a present <laughs> for Christmas for people know that is what I love um, and bless everyone who does so, but it does result in a, a, a small right. you know, um, <laughs> distillery um, on the shelf there. So it's really hard to be like, I'll see you in a month. Um, <laughs> so I, I try to do a, well, let's at least uh, 
shift to a, um, you know, are you or aren't you? Why are you? You know, uh, it's like, oh, well, people are coming over or, or we're going to watch it. Okay, that seems like a reason to do so. Um, I got nothing going on. Is that, is that a really good reason <laughs> to bust out that, uh, and often cases, slightly fancy bourbon. Um, right. uh, so that, that's what I try to do. I, I, I was pretty good at it last year, just set, setting up the, you know, four days on, three days off or whatever kind of thing uh-huh. um, as an on the way. Um, but uh, we're, we're getting there as, as we're gotcha. getting more into January. Gotcha. So, yeah. And, and you know, um, so I live with Amber. My uh, I like to call her my magnificent other. Uh, yes. And uh, she, you know, she is not doing the dry January thing. And so, um, but I, and, and in the past, I've had definitely had issues with like, wow, so somebody in my own house is not doing the thing that I'm doing and that makes it so much harder. So I'll just like cave. But this year I, I did not, I have not so far. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> clearly it's the 13th of January. I have a long ways to go. But so far uh, the temptations, though they have been around, have not been too much to uh, over me. Perhaps because I knew we were going to do this show and I needed something to talk about. So I was like, I'll just keep, keep not drinking. Um, but yeah, the effect of the effect and, and of which like is moving... why I, I kept drinking because I wanted to offer a <laughs> counterpoint. Thank you. Yes. That's doing this for journalism. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So yeah. So, but it's just been interesting to see how, what that sort of change in my, in my drinking diet has changed in my, in my eating diet. Um, and so, um, are we ready to move on from eating and drinking? Have we, have we, have we pu- pushed through that point? Should we move on? To what I, I do we- have more to say about bourbon if I can. Please do. Go ahead. <laughs> and, and please uh, join me in this topic. And one, I, I wanted to take a moment. Uh, I know it was uh, not quite uh, there, but uh, you did share some uh, holiday uh, high-end beverage with sure. me as an outdoor guest. And uh, I, I appreciate when someone gets a nice gift and chooses to share that rather sure. than uh, go get the cheap stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Companies here. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, bourbon, uh, I have a thought. So again, people give me bourbon, that's very nice. Uh, had a friend who was driving across country, knew, knowing that she would eventually uh, see me at, the, you know, at some point. So she stopped at a couple of distilleries driving cross country and so like, I don't like this, but my friend Tom does. Very nice. You got me two different things. Uh, one of them uh, is this. This one, which you'll see is now empty. Uh, Glacier 45. <laughs> oh, um, okay. Great. Uh, which is really cool. I believe it might be from uh, Colorado or something. Um, but it's a, it's a, a mandarin orange, um, you know, infused bourbon kind of thing. Mm, okay. Tasty kind of thing. But uh I do wonder why people work so hard to make bourbon not taste like bourbon. Right. Uh, I'm like, oh, you know, when people are like, oh, that's smooth. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I kind of like the burn. You know, that's uh-huh. sort of why I drink it. And I'm not, <laughs> I have learned I can't, I can't be a, like a quick drinker of bourbon. It does have to be a slow sip for me, or there's an unfortunate loss of uh, the tail end of the evening. Um, <laughs> drank like uh, iced tea. Um, but just that, just, you're like, Ooh, this one mm, tastes like oranges, which is nice. But I'm like, I, I'm okay. Even with cheap bourbon, I don't mind the ah, sort of lets you know that that's why you're here kind of thing. Um, and then I, I bought some along the way with came with like a little, like, you know, sample nip of like an, uh, uh, a green apple bourbon kind of thing, which was awful. Right. Like yeah. I don't need my bourbon to taste like an hour, an hour later kind of thing, you know, like, yeah. Or like a few years ago, Fireball of course came out in yes. uh, you know, well, a few years ago. I mean, it's been about 10 years, but still when Fireball came out, cinnamon bourbon, I was like, we, we already have cinnamon schnapps. I mean, like, like it just tastes this, it tastes kind of the same to me, but, and I, I had the same reaction, but, uh, but I think, you know, uh, bourbon definitely has, there's a reason why people have the, the name rot gut for, uh, for whiskey. Uh, because it definitely does have that sort of like, <clears throat> oh yeah, I'm going to feel that, right. you know. <laughs> Which I've come to know, because that's my other thing. I, again, I could, I could go for a while on bourbon, I'll, I'll, I'll keep, um, which is uh, as soon as you, you know, uh, become attached to a bourbon, um, which again, I like to spend about $20 for bourbon kind of thing. Like, oh, I like this. This is pretty good. Well, I started again, let's say about 20 years ago with uh, like Knob Creek Maker's Mark, which was about $20, $21 around. And I'm like, okay, good. And then you turn around and you're like, hey, how is this now $34? Right. Like, 
So then you shift down. So again, Knob Creek to Maker's Mark, then Maker's Mark to, you know, Elijah Craig. But like, okay, fine, it's not as good. But uh, again, <laughs> I really want to spend just about $20 kind of thing. Um, and you turn around like, how is that $34 now? So even you, Josh, very nice, uh, introduced me to old granddad a while back that I was like, yeah. oh, that's really kind of bottom shelf. You're like, yeah, but it's top of the lower sh shelf, you know? Uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I get what you mean. And at the time it was about $13.99, kind of that, and that, that bottle of bourbon now is now $21, you know? Um, so I'm like, <laughs> right at the top of my price range, but so I just keep coming down. And now I just find myself like holding handles of like Kentucky gentlemen. And I'm just like, well, it'll last. <laughs> um, and I don't feel angry at the consumer cycle when I'm just like, why? Because I like something, it becomes uh, immediately $10 more. I, I think it's because you're such a tastemaker, Tom. People saw be. you drinking bourbon and they flooded into it. And uh, and that's how supply and demand happens, you know, is they they, they follow the tastemakers. And that, that was you at yeah. some point, I'm, I'm thinking. Um, so there's that, that's my thought on, on bourbon, but, uh, and why I kept drinking it so we could talk about it. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for doing that, for fill, helping us fill in. So here's another question. So the next part, I we call it, we, we got eating and drinking, and then we got thinking. And, and my thoughts about what this segment should be about is, you know, what sort of media have you been taking in? What, what has captured your imagination over the course of the last week. Um, Tom, can you start us out? What you got? Well, I was I, I've talked a lot so far, Josh. Okay, maybe. sure. So um, my, my life is, is pretty complicated in some ways right now because I am the CEO of a company called Bright Star Touring Theater. I'm actually recording this from our offices today. Um, and you know, we've had, we've been shut down, uh, a lot. And one of the things that I've done in addition to that is take on some, some tutoring work on the sides, um, because my background is as a teacher and I love to teach as well. And one of my students came with the new year's resolution. He wanted to read political philosophy. <laughs> so he's a bright young man, uh, a freshman in high school. And, uh, he was in, so he, I was like, well, why don't we try to think of some foundational texts that we want to do? And so we kind of bandied about thinking about the wealth of nations. And the one that we landed on was Plato's Republic, which is not something, although I, I, I did a philosophy minor in, in college and, but, uh, and, and trust me, like I, it, this makes me look much more intellectual than I really am uh, this week. I promised that at some point, like when it's like, what are you thinking? It was like, Oh, I found a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, uh, fart memes on the internet. And that's what I've been thinking about. So at some point, that's what I'll bring to this point of the conversation. But for this week, uh, what I've been thinking about is Plato's Republic. Um, have you ever been in, have you ever encountered this, um, this book, Tom? Uh, I sure have. I went to Columbia undergrad where they make you read that book in every class you take. <laughs> nice. So, um, so yeah, so Plato's Republic, I don't know if you remember how it starts out. So the idea is that they start with a it's very it's very timely really because they start with a question about like what is justice and try to get at the heart of what is justice and they find that they can't by going at it directly and uh, instead they just socrates decides to well what if we look at trying to instead of trying to figure out what justice is in the abstract why don't we try to figure out what it looks like in a state because if we can create, so let's create the most just state that we possibly can, or let's create the, a state that, because that perfect, if we can create a perfect state, then obviously justice will be something that we kind of see in there. Um, it, and maybe by looking at what a just state is, or a, or a perfect state is, then we can figure out what justice is. Um, and I'm just wondering, do you re remember what they kind of start out with when they're designing their perfect state do you remember where they kind of start with the argument uh no uh, <laughs> thank you for your socratic method of exposing my uh long years between college right, and right. Um, uh, you didn't know there was going to be a quiz did you <laughs> I, I just also remember that they also described sort of kind of creating the the perfect statesmen you know like who who, who are the people who would occupy the state kind of thing i think that's later um but because the first yes but but the first place where they start is they go well what is the what is the best use of a human being like what is <clears throat> and and should that person is a person capable of doing w doing many things well or are they more capable of doing one thing well 
And so where they actually start out is with the specialization of labor. And I thought that was really interesting that it, in order to have a, a well-functioning state, they were acknowledging that some people are better at some things than other things. And so we should let those people, you know, who have been trained and can do those things, we should focus on the things that they can do and let them do those things. And then the, and then, you know, sailors and shoemakers and, you know, die casters, which I don't even know what a die caster is, but they've said it twice in the book so far. So I know that it was a thing that they did back in, uh, <laughs> in ancient Greece. Uh, when I think of die casters, it makes me think of people rolling dice. Like, so I'm thinking these are craps players, ancient craps players probably is what a die caster is. And there are um, definitely some people who are better at that than others. Yeah. And, and, and then the place that they go after that, and, and I'm only through book three, I've not read the whole thing, We're still, I'm still working my way through the book, um, but where they go after that is education. How do we educate people? Once Because it gets decided that not only some people are going to be working, some people are going to be uh, helping markets work, and then there's another group of people that are going to have to be guardians of our city. And how are we going to educate these guardians is one of the things where he, um, where, where he goes. And it's very quickly decided that, well, we can't teach them everything, right? We like, cause if we taught them the, especially like the worst parts because of our myths, because if you know anything about the Greek myths, you know, these, they were raping and murdering and like, and you know, turning each other into terrible animals. And like, I mean, it was really like kind of nasty. And he's like, we want to, we agree that if they learned that that's how the gods act, then they might act that way themselves. And we can't have the guardians acting that way. We want them to be protectors. They want them to be brave. So we can't also tell them anything about death uh, negative. And so like, it starts to become this very aesthetic argument about how, what's the best way to teach people so that they end up turning into the kind of people that you want them to become. And, you know, that, that made me think very much about our modern education system that still, there is a lot of effort put into what are we going to teach young people? How are we, what is, what is the right thing to teach them? Um, and even more so in, in Plato's time and, and when Socrates was saying, he's like not, and, and it was, it's, it's very aristocratic. You know, the basis of some of this thinking I was, I was, is very exclusive. Like some people just aren't going to get taught at all. They don't even like talk about them. It's like, who are these? They're the guardians. Who are they going to, how are we going to educate them? So anyway, thinking about all of the things that are going on today and how, um, you know, how much misinformation has created the age that we're living in or, and disinformation, um, it, it kind of makes one wonder if, if Socrates wasn't right about that. Maybe we, maybe there are some things that shouldn't be thought, or maybe there are some ideas that shouldn't be given in a, a voice because they uh, are so dangerous that, uh, that, that then people will, uh, will take them. And I think that in the last week, of course, with the storming of the Capitol, we saw exactly how some ideas can take hold and shape and, and really cause some issues in the world. So anyway, it, it just was, that's what I've been thinking about this week is, is reading uh, and, and listening to, because I'm listening to the audiobook a lot while I'm, while I'm doing exercise and stuff and, and just have how timely something that was written so long ago can still be, uh, but also dangerous too, because I, I, I'm not sure that I want censorship either, you know, because I do like the idea of, of freedom and personal freedom and freedom of thought and freedom of ideas and the free flow of ideas. So, um, so yeah, so it's, that's where I'm at. I don't, I haven't made a, a, a decision one way or the other, but that's, that's what I've been thinking about. Spoiler alert. He dies in the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all do. That's the, that's the idea is that at some point yeah. the earth is going to devour us all, which is why we, we've got uh, to devour as much of it as we can while we're here. To circle back on that. So for guardians, is he sort of referring to like police or the people who will sort of protect the city state or does guardian have a different application i think it's both i think it's the people who are protect but i think it's more of more along the lines of like warriors when people are invading the city state how, who's going to protect the you right. know that protect us from the from invaders i think is the idea um oddly i've been listening to you know podcasts along the way um where people will speak about going to Catholic school growing up and uh, going to listen to Mark Maron a lot and he'll be like really and and they will be like I know I'm not saying that was my thing at the time but they really appreciated that they were taught 
critical thinking in a Catholic school uh, format kind of thing. Um, so they're like, actually, while there are so many things that were messed up, they appreciated uh, that they were sort of taught how to, you know, kind of question things and how to, um, you know, actually, you know, voice an, an opposing opinion. Um, so they appreciated that way. And uh, so, yeah, one of them was, was Colin Jost, uh, head writer for the uh, Saturday Night Live. Um, and he spoke and he's like, yeah, you'd be surprised um, how comedy rooms are filled with a lot of sort of, you know, uh, Catholic school rebels. Um, really? Who, huh. um, so there, there was something that came from the church eventually that was sort of good. Although, again, that's the <laughs> tiny sliver on that pie chart of things to point to that are positive. Uh. Well, um, so yeah, so I think that, so we've, we know what I've been thinking about. What about you, Tom? Where, where, where uh, you yeah, maybe thinking? I should have gone first. Um, <laughs> well, you're sort of saying, what are you kind of consuming? Um, and a little bit this week, but this speaks to a, a pattern of, I uh, have found a way to, uh, you know, with, with so much time watching TV and streaming things, to enjoy holidays by focusing on the holiday episodes of uh, some of my favorite shows. I always do it every year with The Simpsons. They do the Treehouse of Terror uh, episode. And I always go back and watch some of the previous ones to sort of get me in a, a Halloween mood. I love doing that. So I was like, oh, I like that. So I carried that over to Thanksgiving and I watched all the Bob's Burgers Thanksgiving uh, episodes because oh, Bob loves Thanksgiving. He loves making the turkey and it's always, a, so there's several of those. Um, and it made me appreciate both the show and the holiday, which is, you know, despite everything, it, and even if the meal goes wrong, and if you don't get to, um, you know, go to the place you thought you were going, as long as you're surrounded by family and, and, and are caring for each other, Thanksgiving has meaning. It's like, it's nice. Yeah. And then I did so with Christmas as well, which is a wider uh, birth, you know, watching <laughs> sure. anything from an X-Files Christmas episode to... Uh, <laughs> Uh, wow, what, what happened to the X-Files Christmas episode? Very str strange one in which, uh, yeah, they were sort of uh, on this house that they're sort of made to turn on each other. Um, but in fact, they realized that, you know, yeah, yeah it, was, it was very odd. But it, for me, uh, while I liked being uh, brought back to watch X-Files again, a show I liked, I, I don't feel like it had it. It just took place at Christmas where I didn't necessarily have a Christmas message. Gotcha. Um, uh -huh. Whereas I do, you know, even a show as dark as it's always sunny in Philadelphia, while they're being kind of gross to each other, there's still that like, hey, Christmas, a time where miracles sure. are possible and uh, goodwill towards men, even right. in the, the most uh, unpleasant of people and places. Um, so I, re I really uh, I enjoyed that. And I got to watch a lot. You know, Frasier's got some great uh, uh, Christmas episodes and other ones. So I just really enjoyed Sort of sampling a lot of my favorite shows through the prism of uh, Christmas and how did they do with their um, uh, Christmas episodes? And then yeah, this last week watching some New Year's episodes, which I found yeah, fun. But yeah, New Year's is not as special of a holiday because all it is is kind of like, well, where were you? Who were you with at midnight? And you know, so that you know, well, it makes a moment in time particularly important. Or what are your resolutions for the new year? But there's not as much of a spirit of new year's that you do get from christmas and thanksgiving as is evident in some of the episodes you're like oh that's a fine episode but i didn't kind of go all oh, right the magic of new year's <laughs> yeah i mean i yeah i guess there's you do lose something it's the least of the holidays uh, but you know at one time new year's was celebrated more than christmas it's only in the last 150 or so years that christmas really took off in uh especially in the english speaking world and um here at bright star we have this uh, show called holidays around the world and one of the things that i every year when we put that up we we try to add things and make sure things are accurate and uh one of the things that's always interesting to me is how christmas even in other countries that are uh, christian of origin it has just a very different place in its uh world than it does in the sort of like english speaking world uh, that's a very, it's a very, it's, you know, it's big in a lot of European countries and stuff too, but, uh, but, but particularly big here. And it's, it speaks to, I think the consumer culture too, because 
you know, <laughs> the bigger that Christmas gets, the bigger that America gets, the more it buys, the bigger the capital thing, the, you know, like, I think the, I think it's that self-feeding thing that capitalism tends to do to, uh, to things. And when it finds a profit motive in something that can be as wholesome as Christmas, it, it tends to go, look at, look at this, sell, sell, buy, buy, you know, and, and then, and then, and blow it up as big as it can, because that's what capitalism is built to do, in my opinion, is just grow, just grow and grow and grow things. Um, all right. Um, so ha have we exhausted these topics? Are we ready for our first guest, Tom? What do you think? Yes. Okay, cool. Well, uh, this guest is an Asheville uh, actor, comedian, improviser. He is the head of the Asheville School of Improv, and his name is Tom Chalmers. Tom, you are our first guest. <laughs> so can you please interview yourself? Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Well, let me tell you why I wanted you to be I was stuck the, the, in the waiting room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me tell you why I thought. I think you know, if if anybody's going to listen to this, it's people who know us and know uh, in the in the first round. Uh, it's going to be people who know us, and so I just wanted to give you a chance to maybe maybe a lot of those people still don't know the story of Tom Chalmers and and how you ended up here in Asheville and some of your path as a creator and as an artist. And so I I wanted to take it have a chance to talk to you about you know how did how'd you get here what what was what has your path been like and and so i just anyway i just wanted to open the floor and let people kind of get to know tom a little bit with today's show what do you think uh, are, are you game I'm for always this happy to share my origin story um, <laughs> yes yeah he, were, he was raised by wolves and, uh, <laughs> uh, and if it can involve a dramatic shot of pearls bouncing off a, a yeah. dirty alley ground uh, like a batman that'd be great um well and i didn't i failed to mention that you're also in in addition to the things that i said you're also the co-host of a, another podcast also radio show steve sack syndrome but and you, i'm reminded of that because you are wearing your raiders uh toboggan right now uh steve sack syndrome you can hear an excellent uh, exploration of the coffin corner kick this week in this week's episode uh <laughs> which when scott said in the episode he said maybe we should call the call it the coffin corner instead of steve sack syndrome i was like well not during covid because that sounds more like the coffin corner <laughs> we do tend to end the episode with sort of acknowledging who we have lost during the past week after right. celebrities musicians so that segment <laughs> could be called the coffin corner oh i love it i love it that's great that's great uh, is it yeah. um and, um, and you can find Steve Sack Syndrome wherever podcasts are sold. <laughs> which I love. Hooray for friends of mine who know how to put things through to such platforms. But so you. The, the quick story on how uh, I ended up in Asheville and how, you know, along with my wife is we had been living in Los Angeles at the time. We'd been there about five years uh, at the beginning of the 2000s. And um, we were just sort of feeling like it was time for something else. We didn't necessarily want to stop doing what we were doing there, being creative and being outdoors, um, but maybe being in a smaller city might be good for my mental makeup, having been either in New York, Chicago, or Los Angeles since I was 17, since I you know, went to college um, in New York City. And uh, so there was this idea of, a, of an elsewhere, but yeah, right, where is this kind of charming small city where you can still do plays and, and short films and go see shows and get fancy takeout um, uh, and not feel like you're surrounded by just a bunch of people you have nothing in common with. Uh, a show that I was directing in Los Angeles at uh, the Sacred Fools Theater where I worked that was uh, written by my uh, friend Andy Korn that he uh, performed in along with two other actresses, my wife being one of them, was invited to be performed here in Open 35 Below. So uh, Andy came out early to get things uh, set up and he called saying, oh, I, I found where you guys are gonna live next. And I really don't like being told what I'm gonna do. If you want me to do something, uh, tell me that uh, not to do the opposite. And that's just how my <laughs> brain works. So I was like, right, I'm gonna go to this like little city in the mountains in North Carolina and that's where we're gonna live. Um, but sure enough, we came, I, I you know, showed up a few weeks before the show was to go up so I, I, he could just focus on performing and I would take over the directing duties. And then, yeah, I was like, wow, this, this place is all right. I really liked it and uh, didn't get to see much of it other than being in 35 Below, building the set and rehearsing or being put up in a cute little uh, artist housing out in uh, Alexander. 
Um, but it was like, boy, hmm, that, that place was pretty cool. Like, I did not feel like, get me out of here. Uh, you know, I got the, the New Yorker, <laughs> like, where's, where's my delis? You know, like, yeah. um, and so uh, hooray for uh, Jenny Bunn. Uh, inviting me back like hey well we do teach we have a we have a, a, a summer theater camp maybe you could come back um, and spend a little bit more time so uh, we did and we did I had a great time teaching at the camp I met you um, you were like hey what are you doing we're doing this 48 hour film thing uh, this weekend do you want to be part of it um, sure we got together collaborated you me you know Shane Peters Peter Bresney a bunch of great people knocked out this great little film, won the 48 hour film festival. And there was just all these things that were like, hey, yeah, this, this seems all right. Um, soon enough, I got uh, offered to, to do Santa Land on the main stage. And I was like, I think I should go back to LA and get my stuff because this is a really <laughs> fun place. And my wife's family is from Central Carolina. My family is from New England. So we also, and there were some health issues at the time. We wanted to be um, in a place where if something uh, did go wrong, whatever we could, theory get in a car and drive and be there you know within a day um and uh and that's sort of a darker reason but yeah so that that's why uh but always get, get, it shows a lot about our personalities we have never purchased anything since being here we've always rented and we've always sort of had a feeling of like yeah but we, we're probably going to go back like, right. we'll see. And, uh, we might go back um that was 15 years ago i think at this point so right. uh, I'm not sure if we're going back, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I always sort of, uh, yeah. We'll see where the podcast <laughs> takes us. You know, you never know. We might end up having yes. to. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I have treated Asheville like a summer romance. Not that I necessarily know what that's like, uh, where it's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is great and all, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to go in a few months, you know. Gotcha. Um, so let's just keep it light, okay? I've taken it weird about things. Um, so. So that tells me how you got here from where you just were. But yes. but I think one of the things that I'm interested in hearing about is like, how did you get to where you were? Like, so th thinking about like, um, well, I mean, seriously, do, do you have a memory of like your, because you're a performer, right? We've talked about this before. You, you've talked about, you know, in fact, I think you kind of, have uh you like to call yourself a performer before you call yourself an actor even right i yes. mean is, is that, that right because uh you 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 do a lot of different types of performing including improvising and things do you remember the first time that you were on a stage performing for people do you have any memories of that uh elementary school you're a good man charlie brown yes i was charlie brown <laughs> Um, so yeah, nice. I, I do. That's the first time I remember being on stage and loving it. Like, wait, seriously? Like, everyone sits and watches you, and you get to you know like hold the center. This is awesome. Um, and yeah, the whole idea of having to memorize things or whatever—that none of that phased me. You know, that wasn't uh, that it, it, that just wasn't daunting. It was just that was you know your auntie. You know, like that's how you got to play. You know, it's like okay, learn things, know where to stand, and then people will watch you and again you, just, <laughs> you get to do the things that you do fantastic so yeah that's my first memory uh, that side of me was sort of born in uh, fourth or fifth grade when I got glasses I was a tiny little very quiet kid um, uh, yeah, stone-faced boy as my older brother would call me just like is he okay um, uh, <laughs> seriously to the point uh, and there's there's some epilepsy involved so maybe it wasn't all fine um, but I got glasses and then so all of a sudden there was uh, attention on me that I did not uh, you know, wish to bring about. So uh, messy Marvin and all the ah, you know, four eyes and all that kind of stuff. So I found myself needing to respond to that or kind of beat them to the punch. Um, so I started to become a little funny in class, uh, never disruptive. Um, you always got to find that line right. of the teacher can't really get that mad at you if they're kind of chuckling at the same time. So you always have to find that balance. But yeah, so I sort of found that uh, about fourth or fifth grade and then decided to, oh, let's, let's, let's do this on purpose instead of finding the occasional, you know, gaps in a, in a classroom, right. um, go ahead and find the times when this is not only allowed, but encouraged. Well, that's, that's interesting because that definitely does tell us a little bit about who you are as a person, Tom, because as a teacher, I can tell you, there are a lot of kids who do not give 
one flying flip about what where that line is of whether they're on the good side of the teacher or not like that is not a thing so so this is so i get a picture of you as a person who respects uh, that uh, certain authority figures have something to that you can learn from them and get from them and you and you you want a certain type of attention not just any sort of attention that can you know because i think the, the one type of person becomes like vermin supreme or yeah. you know someone who is just out there you know trying to make uh get people to look at them uh some of which we saw maybe last week in the the storming of the capital as well yeah. uh and then uh then then there's your type of who is willing to kind of color within the lines maybe uh yeah i, I thought uh in uh, high school, uh, I was named wittiest, not class clown. Um, in junior, ah, okay. I, I got both of them, um, but I think that there was a little bit more. So yeah, class clown was the guy just like, hey, hey woo, you know, like food guy, <laughs> that kind of guy. And I'm like, you can have that. Um, I am not the lampshade on the head uh, kind of uh, kind of guy. And often I am a bit of a conversation vulture. I'll sort of circle the perimeter, so absorb some of the variables. And then right at the end, I'll sort of drop the perfect closing line. People cracking up, hey, wait, who's this guy? Uh, and I was like, I was just waiting. I was just absorbing everything and seeing what would be the best way to um, you know, land. Um, so yeah, that, that is very right. true. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've always been uh, on team. I'm not, I'm not a great athlete, but I've always would get the award for that guy who like, um, played his position, you know, like you, you, you know, you definitely <laughs> yeah, yeah, stood yeah. where we told you to stay yeah. and you sort of you did everything we did, told you to do. And so, yeah, I, I am a rule follower that way. But, uh, that, but I have seen it with my own eyes. This does not mean that you're any less competitive than, 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 than the most, uh, the most skilled of the athletes, right? <laughs> that part is true. Um, in a way that's not entirely under my command. <laughs> yeah, so where does that competitive streak come from? I mean, was it just because you're you grew up in a in a house with the two other boys, or or what, what do you think? I, I reckon that was part of it, um, and uh, uh, yeah. While I don't necessarily need to, you know, uh, throw a, a wet paper towel against the blackboard to be seen, um, I will not be overlooked. You know, like so. <laughs> If, right. If there is a chance to yeah c contribute to a game or uh, affect an outcome of some competition, board game, volleyball game, whatever, I will do all that I can to show up in that moment, uh, despite sometimes uh, any natural talent to do so. Yeah. Well, do you think that that has something to do? Because I, I mean, I think that you're you're a great actor you you know definitely you've you've done work on the stage here in Asheville but I think most recently that and and perhaps uh more often uh, something that has been a through line is you as an improviser and there is an element of not necessarily I mean it's competition I think about it the difference between like a competition and a contest a, co a competition is something where you're 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 striving at a goal alongside someone else and, and, and your excellence pushes someone else forward too, like in a race, right? Whereas a contest I think is where, you know, more like a wrestling match where one will be defeated over the other. Yes. Uh, so I like I that mean, distinction. Uh, so there is definitely like a, an era, a bit of competition within improv. So do you, can you tell us a little bit about your, your story with improv? Uh, improviser? Sure. Um, doing some theater along the way in junior high and high school. And again, uh, much like elementary school, I understood in order to be in the things you needed to, you know, learn your lines and rehearse and stuff. Uh, but I, 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 if there was a way to get to the end product of, look, I am showing what I can do and people are enjoying it, um, uh, all the better. And so in the kind of speech tournament stuff when you could do, you know, extemporaneous events, you know, so anything I was like, oh, I, I, I sort of like the end game more than the process. I have been in productions where I very much enjoyed rehearsing and very much enjoyed developing a character otherwise, but just the idea of, boy, if I can just be challenged to produce uh, on the spot in front of people, uh, all that seems like a great idea uh, because it, yeah, it's just straight to the head of the line um, without cutting, 
Um, and uh, yeah, and, and whatever it is about myself that, uh, again, it, 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 it's never been, oh no, really? I have to think of things on the spot in front of people? Oh, hey, can I have a few minutes to kind of compose myself? Nope. Sure. And often those few minutes only make it uh, worse as I start to question myself or um, create expectations that aren't maybe even there. Um, so uh, got to college, someone was starting an improv troupe. Uh, my roommate at the time came back with the flyer saying, hey, you do this anyways, you might as well do this on stage. Um, part because I think he wanted me to. And also I think he wanted me out of the room so he could be the funniest guy in the room. He, <laughs> and he was used to being like the funny guy at his high school. But when That's he's it. in, when he's my roommate, he's not the funniest guy in the room kind of thing. So also I think it was a little bit of a clear out, you know, <laughs> go run with the other comedy wolves. You know? <laughs> and it was great. So yeah, being in a college improv troupe is fantastic because when you perform, everyone gets all the same references, you know, the teachers, the cafeteria, all the variables are held by, you know, several hundred people. So it, it's, it's really nice. And uh, particularly at Columbia where the theater there, there was some good stuff, but you're in New York. You can just get on a subway and go to Broadway. Um, right. So right. things like the improv troupe or the acapella singing group um, or like the, the, the student review, those were very well received because they were kind of specific to campus as, as opposed to doing like a, a campus theater production where you are in the shadow of the greatest people are doing so. And then, uh, and then from college or even maybe during college, like were there any teachers or anything along the way that you uh, that kind of like sparked your interest and made you think about what you were doing a little bit differently? Uh, I was lucky to interact with uh, folks from the Yale improv troupe, the Purple Crayon, when there okay. was a, a kind of college improv you know, um, combination uh, that, that they hosted. And uh, I just saw that there were people there who uh, were from Chicago, had clearly studied and brought that to their troupe. And I just thought, wait, this, this is existing in a much higher level rather than just a couple exercises that someone remembered from camp kind of thing. So yeah. I remember like, ooh, how are you guys this good? Um, <laughs> and they're like, well, Chicago. And actually we're going to be uh, in Chicago this summer taking classes. Um, I don't remember if they actually invited me or encouraged me to do that, but they did mention it in front of me. Um, so which I showed is, up. Which is like an invitation, right? I mean, <laughs> so I showed up in Chicago. I found a way to uh, get there and I found a way to, uh, you know, find a place to live. Uh, all things uh, that I couldn't really afford or, um, but yeah. And then um, uh, kind of showed up where they were and they're like, oh, hey, yeah, we remember you. Sure. You can kind of tag along. And luckily I, I proved that uh, that wasn't a mistake in their part. But yeah, being put in a position to then get to study with Del Close um, at Improv Olympic or study at uh, Second City with people like Michael Gelman or otherwise was just great when you saw that this is, again, it's not just camp exercises, but this is a discipline. There is an approach. Um, there is a way to get quite good at this spontaneous format it was very exciting for me. So that I just wanted more and more of that. So, so fast forward now to today and you find yourself with the Asheville School of Improv teaching classes and uh, so like, what are, so what are some of the principles and things that you try to share and try to get people to, uh, to, to do and, and why, why, why teaching and, and all, tell me, tell me more about that. Why teaching is a good question. Um, I like to think of myself as a comedy shaman. Um, <laughs> really, I'm sort of sharing these teachings that the elders have shared with me and I try to pass them on uh, as a way to manipulate the elements in your favor. Um, but yeah, as I, 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 you know, why I teach it, uh, th there's a lot of other things that would be a better uh, pursuit for someone uh, of my age and uh, income, income need. Um, but it's what I know to do and it's what I love uh, to share with people. And I try to teach it in a way that gives people the highest probability of succeeding at a risky non-scripted format. Sure. Um, yeah. So these are all things, you know, so, you know, active listening and, and line building and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, they're, they're all good ideas, but the end product is, yes, if you do those things, you'll come away going, oh, that was mostly fun and not, wow, why did that bog down into 
argument and why did just the loudest person on stage um, rule the roost? And so that's a lot of how I teach it is like if these people who have done improv before me and now I say to you have figured out some things starting from Viola Spolin and you know, uh, sure. theater games for children, like, hey, yeah, let's sort of make complimentary rules as we go, as we create this game on the fly. You know, you're like, yeah, that, that does make sense. That is what we did as kids. And the one person who, when they get shot and you're like, you're dead. No, I'm not, no, I'm not. Like, yeah, now this game sucks. Yeah. You're like, bang, you go, oh. And then if you get up five seconds later, rejuvenation pill. (laughs) No one said you couldn't have a rejuvenation pill, but you have to play the game or it it falls apart. So those same things. So some people, are so desperate to be funny. You're like, great, we'll get there, but just try these things. And some people are really scared to open up at all. Like, hey, just try these things and you'll find in the middle, like, oh, look, we shared a story, we shared a scene that, that did lift a little bit and we got somewhere. Didn't, and a word I use a lot is satisfying. Was that satisfying? Um, oh yeah. That's a lot of my principle is, um, let's get to a place where this isn't constantly reminding us how hard this is. <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, like with some and i think there's so many lessons for improv uh, for for life and uh and i'd love to get on the podcast sometime you know uh, some of our partners especially monday and karen for what yeah. they you know how they've extrapolated some of these rules and ideas for life but like with so many things in life i think you know when you see improv that well done on stage you're seeing people that are take they're they're do, pulling their own weight but they're also letting others do their job as well and getting out of the way, let them do what the thing that they do well. And then when it's their turn, you know, there's, there's very much, you see that in, in well um, on, on football teams, basketball teams, and then like improv as well. People know they're kind of, it's not necessarily that you're always playing that role kind of goes back to, uh, to Plato as well. You, You find that sort of like special lane that you're playing in and you play your part and you do what you, you what you can do and then you try your best to make everybody else better as well by uh, by helping them find their lane and 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 pushing the whole thing forward somehow um, yeah one yeah. of the nicest compliments i ever got it's nice to be told that i'm funny and um i would imagine uh like those who were told that they are pretty or handsome that they, they go oh that's nice but i'm not sure what I had to do with that, what choice I had. I feel <laughs> yeah. never getting those compliments. At least like, hey, you're funny. Well, thanks. But I think that's sort of just how I'm wired. Um, but someone once described me as, oh, you're a very generous performer. I was like, well, that's nice. And that is choice. That yeah. is something that I have cultivated or, you know, my mom, you know, making me a good person along the way. Um, they're like, well, thanks. That's something that it's very nice to hear. And that is something that I have worked at to, to become that as opposed to like oh great i guess people just sometimes see my round face and like you're funny you are like okay i'm literally <laughs> just standing here but i'm glad that my moon face makes you happy um i, I really I am but it's, it's just that so yeah when someone described me as a generous performer i was like oh good i i i, I would like to hear more of those compliments if i can along my way yeah, and I think that's absolutely true. And I and I also find you to be a generous person in life as well, and just in, in general. And I hope that our audience, um, whoever they may be, uh, the three friends, <laughs> your brothers, and uh, maybe my parents, uh, got to see some more of that uh, in in our first interview of the pre-show show. I I want to keep it. You know, we should probably find a way to wrap up. I don't want to push people's uh, patience too much. We did have a couple. Uh, of other segments planned and so I do want to give you a chance to to give us Tom's take if you have worked uh worked up that bit uh for us today well I'll try to turn something back as a compliment to you but yeah so um my take was with all the division in the world and the people resisting masks and all that kind of stuff uh, I thought one of the most unfortunate things of this past year was um uh, telling people that they couldn't go to church and they couldn't bury their loved ones. Um, uh-huh. I thought that was uh, a terrible mistake. Um, and what I thought with that, so yes, the idea of like, hey, we all can't go stand in a you know, closed area you know, singing the whole time because uh, COVID will spread very quickly. Um, uh, but that's where we needed to again, reach out to people like yourself. You've done an amazing job with Bright Star to figure out, okay, these touring theater shows 
what can we do? All right, we can do some virtual. You just you just found a way to creatively adjust the model so that it can continue to reach the people who needed to see it. I wish that we had found a way to reach out to innovators uh, with incentives or otherwise being like, okay, so church, churches and funeral parlors, how can we make them uh, you know, workable in this very unworkable uh, condition? Yeah. Um, so just with that. So again, if we can have, you know, ventilated tents outside Wicked Weed, why can't we have that with churches and funeral parlors? One of the yeah. great images of this last year was uh, a priest in a parking lot doing a baptism with a super soaker. Um, right. like he literally was kind of, I was like, that's fantastic. <laughs> and it's, again, it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's joyous, but it, yeah. so there's that. I think there's a lot of anger. I know we have a friend in common uh, who has gone deep down that uh, route of, you know, you know, full adherence to the, to the uh, uh, insurrection culture. But right. I think part of it was uh, he lost his brother early last year and there was no ceremony around it. And uh, I have nothing to back that up, but I think like he carries anger because that wasn't right. His brother deserved better. And the, yeah. you know, the, the government told him he couldn't. Um, yeah. So that, that was just for me is like, I wished that you and other people like yourself were again invent as you did with your integrative arts uh, at mm -hmm. art space. Hey, how can we find a way to take this thing that has to happen, but has these limits and still needs an, an outpouring and people should be getting you know, cash prizes and awards right now for figuring things out like the super soaker baptism. Sure. Um, I really wish there had been, um, hey, let's take these two things and blend them uh, rather than stay out of your church. Don't yeah. bury your dead. Stay at your house. No wonder people are angry. Yeah. There's some things that, that are bigger than, uh, than maybe uh, any obviously you know it's something that we're always dealing with and probably the reason one of the reasons why church exists and one of the and definitely one of the reasons why why uh why funerals exist is we know it's all going to end at some point and we're constantly dealing with that which is again part of why we're trying to devour the world before it devours us is is you know coming to understanding with that and and yeah well thank you for your take tom i appreciate that uh the other segment that we want to share is, is and then another reason why I uh, wanted to do this is I'm, I'm, I'm part of a song group, a group that is putting, uh, put their, putting song, I put a song, I write a song every week. And so I just want to have an outlet for doing that. This is, this can definitely be the part where uh, if you feel so inclined, you can just like go, okay, well, that's enough. We don't really, need, but, but, Never. but I do, I do want to have a, an opportunity to, to play my most recent uh, tune. Uh, one of the things that happens with this song group is they give you a, uh, a topic or a phrase. The phrase this week was "obey all warning signs." Uh, I took that a little bit uh, and uh, and created this little tune, and I'd like to share it with you, Tom. I'm going to share my screen so you can read the lyrics along as well. How about that? Great. If you would like. Um, so there we go. Sharing. Uh, good. All right. So here we go. Ancient lovers lie in embrace in the ashes of old Pompeii. Nobody heard any soothsayer say that day would be the day. Smoke and steam smothered out the sun, rolled down the mountainside. Everyone was looking for somewhere to run, but there was nowhere to hide. You can run, but you can never hide. Your mother's cry. Bought her baby at a big box store before she had a good reason why. Well, the baby's broken and her dress is in shreds. Some things you can't return. She looks like an animal and her batteries are dead. Let's put her on the pile to burn. Yeah, let's put her on the pile to burn. Vesuvius waits in every dying star, Judas and Brutus too. 
Hemlock for each Socrates and a whip for every scar. Terror, justice, and truth. Terror, justice, and truth. Betty bought insurance from Broadway Joe. Tricky Dick Nixon, too. Carl Sagan, Big Bang, Marilyn Monroe on Madison Avenue. Alexander Hamilton and Burr on Hudson Bay. Rattlesnakes in the desert, junkies in LA. Doesn't matter how you throw the dice, you know you're gonna pay. Better kiss them before you roll. Better kiss me before you go. You can heed all the warnings. You can heed all the warnings. You can heed all the warning signs, but someday she's gonna blow. You can heed all the warning. You can heed all the warnings. You can heed all the warning signs, but someday she's gonna blow. Yeah, someday she's gonna blow. All right. Well, so there it is, Tom. Uh, episode one, or actually pre-show, the pre-show show, the episode 0.5 or beta test one is in the can. How do you feel about it so far? That was nice. I'm very <laughs> happy that we ended with a, a song. <laughs> well, uh, all right. So uh, teaser for next week, we'll have Alex Bradley of Empire Strikes Brass, uh, amazing band, great great musician also a fun origin story with his relationship with us as well so uh if you did happen to find this episode and you liked it uh we hope you'll come back for the next episode and um and that's it all right got anything else to say tom happy new year <laughs> one take tommy <laughs>